Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you brought us here this morning to hear from you. We pray, Father, that you open up our hearts, our minds to receive the word you have for us. Father, as we receive that word, we don't want to be forgetful. We pray that your word will fulfill the purpose for which is going to come out this morning. That we will be transformed. And Father, as I speak on your behalf to your people, lead and guide me that I'll speak only the word that you give me. And that your people will be blessed according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. For some time now, Bishop has been taking us through a series about love. The love of God for us. And uh, in addition to Bishop, other ministers came on the stage to help us to understand the extent of the love of God for us. We heard a lot of things. We learned a lot. We learned about God's love that is hard to describe. We can only use some of the few characteristics that English or any other human language are able to provide because the word of the love of God goes beyond what we can express. We learn that the love of God for us is extreme. It's extravagant. It's everlasting. Someone said it's irrevocable. It's irreversible. Thank you, Reverend Emmanuel. It's unchangeable. We learn that we are engraved, not just our names, but we are ourselves engraved in the palm of his hand. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. That there's nothing we can do to undo his love for us. Thank you, Pastor Vernon. And last week, Bishop taught us here that the love of God is unconditional. Meaning there's no string attached. There's nothing we can do that will prevent God from loving us. Nothing. Nothing. That God loves us when we were unlovable. So not because of who we are or who we were, but because of who God is. That's just his nature. He's loving. So there's really nothing we can do about it. And as Bishop and other ministers have been preaching, there's a question that Bishop has been asking. What are you going to do about this love? What are you going to do about this kind of love? The question is coming over and over every time Bishop preaches about the love of God. So it may sound like a rhetorical question, but it's not. Because in reality, it's a question that we need, that we have to answer. Now that we are grasping gradually the, 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 the nature of the love of God for us, now that gradually we're getting that revelation, what are we going to do about it? Now that you know God loves you so much that nothing can change, regardless of who you are, what you do, God will always love you. What are you going to do about that? What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to respond 
to that kind of unconditional love. If I ask the question, many of you, I'm sure, would say, we're supposed to love him back. And that's a good answer. That's a good answer. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of John, 1 John, 1 John 4, 9, that we love him because he first loved us. So it's okay for us to respond to God's unconditional love by loving him back. But the Bible also tells us, and this is Jesus advising us in John 14, 15, that if we love him, we should keep his commandments. So keeping the commandments of Jesus is a way of demonstrating our love if we have answered the question that our response to his love should be to love him back. He wants us then to follow his commandments. And one commandment he gave, he gave us, <laughs> one commandment he gave us, one important commandment he gave us, is to love our enemies. To love our enemies. Love our enemies. So this morning we're going to discuss how we should love our enemies in response to God's unconditional love in response to God's reckless love for us. We are commended to love our enemies. How should we love our enemies? Why should we love our enemies? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We can turn the Bible to the book of Luke, Luke 6. And before we move forward in reading, I just want to give you a context of this passage. This is, Jesus, who is beginning his ministry. He just spent a whole night praying. And then he comes in the morning and chooses among his disciples, he selects 12. 12 that will be close to him, that he will work with, that he will go around with. And then he takes them, he goes through the mountain where a crowd follows him. And there he delivers one of his most powerful sermons, the Beatitudes, where he somehow lays the foundation of what his ministry will be about. So this passage here comes within that context so that you can see the importance of what it is for people then and for us today. Luke 6, 27 to 31. Yeah, go ahead with the scripture. But I say to you who hear, so you who are listening to me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Next. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Next. To him who, Christ, who strikes you on the one cheek, 
offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. I'm going to stop there for now. This, from just the first reading, for the common person does not make sense. This is Jesus starting his ministry and he has all these, these people in front of him who believe in him as someone who came to change the status quo. But the way they expect him to change the status quo in their mind is not this. They expect him to come and establish a new kingdom where going forward, Israel will no longer be under the dominion of all those people. To reign as an actual earthly king over all the other peoples of the earth and to crush their enemies. That's what they want to hear. And this man is saying what? To love your enemies? To do good to those who hate you? I don't know how many here in this congregation have gone the, have gone the path of doing good to those who hate them. If you, have intentionally, if you have been intentionally doing that, I want to see your hand. Just, just loving those who hate you. Okay, I see a few hands. A few hands, yeah, you're trying. That's about 10% of us. So this is to say it's hard. This is a difficult word to, 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 to put into practice. This is hard. So if it's hard for you, if it's hard for me, you can imagine how hard it was for people in those days when Jesus was speaking this. I'm sure they thought the man was crazy. They thought this was just a crazy lunatic. Because what he was asking them to do did not or seemed to not make sense. So practically, how does this apply to us today? How can we love our enemies? Are we ready to love our enemies? Why should we love our enemies? Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, let me submit to you that the first reason I'm going to give you, two major reasons why we should love our enemies. The first major reason why we should love our enemies is because the people who see us our enemies are in fact not our enemies. They are not our enemies. Let's move to Luke 6 verse 32 through 34. Verse 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Because even sinners love those who love them. Next verse. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that for you? For even sinners do the same. Verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. You realize in, in this passage that 
the word sinners appears in every single sentence. Jesus is putting an emphasis here and, and, and making a comparison with sinners because those you consider your enemies, those I consider my enemies because they hate me, because they do things to demean me, because they don't consider me, because whatever, the list can go on and on, they are actually sinners. They are sinners in need of repentance. So those you consider your enemies, those I consider my enemies, are not our enemies. They are not our enemies. I'm trying to get everybody, people, everyone here to understand how to respond to love's God for us by loving those who appear as our enemies. They are sinners in need of repentance. Flashback to Bishop's message from last week. Romans 5, verse 8 and verse 10. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love, his own love towards us in that while we were what? Still sinners. What did Christ do? He died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, so we see the connection here between the people we call our enemies and sin. So while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So the people we consider our enemies are sinners in need of repentance and those sinners are the enemies of God. They are not our enemies. They are the enemies of God by virtue of the spiritual nature. They are not our enemies. Exactly the same way we were enemies of God yesterday. The same way we were categorized as sinners yesterday. And then God, when we were still in that state, came to us and died for us. That's exactly the situation in the situation where those we consider our enemies are in at this time. So they are enemies of God by virtue of the spiritual standing. They consistently miss the mark as Bishop preached last week. Just as you and I were yesterday. So ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the hatred they have, their curses against you, their slaps against you, their deception against you, their jealousy are not directed towards you, but they are directed towards the God in you. You think they hate you. They don't hate you. They are disturbed by the God in you. They are disturbed by the manifestation of the glory of God in you. They are disturbed by the manifestation of the power of God in you. They are disturbed by the manifestation of the mercy of God through the things you do on a daily basis. They have nothing against you. They are enemies of God.
They hate the Jesus in you. They hate the light they see in and through you. They hate the expression of the un unconditional love of God manifested in and through you. They see that all around. They don't understand. And their only, the only response they know is hatred. They don't know any better. Because they are still enemies of God, not your enemies. In fact, let me submit to you that you do not have enemies. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not have enemies. There's only one enemy. Call him the devil. Call him Satan. Call him whoever you want, Lucifer or whatever, Mammon or whoever. You can give him the name you want. We only have one enemy. And his purpose is just as we know, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's our enemy. We don't have enemies. We have one common enemy. So we should fight the right battle. There's only one enemy. You don't have enemies. They are not your enemies. You're not your enemies. So it's important for us to change our outlook. To change the perception we have of them. It's important for us to start loving them. Looking at them differently. And yes, we can love them. Because I know in your mind you're asking, how is it possible that I will know that this person does not have my interest in mind? I will know that this person is doing everything they can to harm me. How can I love them? Yes, you can. Yes, I can love my enemies. If we refer to Jesus and take example on the attitude he had towards sinners, you know the story of Zacchaeus that Bishop reminded us of here uh, last Sunday. Jesus chose to go to the house of the chief tax collector, a corrupted, crooked man, to eat at their table. What is the last time you visited a non-believer and ate at their table? Your relationships, most of the people you know, most of the people that are close to you with whom you do life on a regular basis, I'm sure 90% Maybe 99% of them are believers because you intentionally make the choice to move as far possible, as far away as you can from those you consider your enemies. Don't want to have anything to do with you. Zacchaeus. 
the woman at the well. The prostitute who sat at his feet and anointed him. Everybody was looking around saying, wow, this man, he must not be a man of God. Otherwise, he wouldn't allow this. How can he allow a prostitute to sit at his feet and anoint him? What is that? What's wrong with him? How about that other woman caught in the very act of adultery? These are examples that Bishop used here last, last week. So that should cause us to reflect a little bit on our attitude towards those we call our enemies, who are in, in fact spiritually enemies of God. People in need of repentance, people in need of our mercy. What is our attitude towards them? And I'll go there as soon as we know that this one is from the left side. I mean, I mean, even coming close to them is a problem. You understand what I mean by the left side, right? All right. So I, I mean, you don't, even when they say hi to you, you think it's contagious, so you don't, you don't, you don't want to draw closer. Because we, we never know. I may, I may draw closer and, 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 and get infected. I, I don't want these people. I don't want to deal with them. We think they are our enemies. They are not. They are enemies of God in need of repentance. They are exactly at the place where you and I were yesterday. So try, try to remember, remember that place where you were yesterday. If somebody didn't extend love to you, if somebody was not ready to go to an extra mile to say yes, this man's son is an enemy of God, but I will love them. Will you be here today listening to me? They are not our enemies. We have one enemy. Let's not confuse our battles. The second reason and I'm taking you somewhere. The second reason why we should love our enemies or those who appear, those whose outward appearance is as if they were our enemies is because in fact of, in, instead of being our enemies, they are in fact our reason for being. Hmm. They say in French, not to raison d'etre. I think raison d'etre is a word that's used in English as well. They are our reason for being. <laughs> they are our mission field. Those people you consider your, your enemies, you exist as a child of God for them. You exist as a believer for them. You were saved not primarily to go to heaven, but for them. They are your reason for being as a child of God. That's your mission field. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. 
talking about the love of God, how to respond to it. It's not just a feeling. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, this is a famous passage. If, if anyone in Christ is a new creation, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we're all happy to quote this passage and say, I'm new. I'm different. All things have passed away. I'm a new creature. I'm a child of God. Who here is a child of God? Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Most people here are children of God. Verse 19. Next verse. Yeah, next, yeah. Now, all things are of God. Who has? He has done what? Reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he has, he has given us what? The ministry of reconciliation. So he said, yes, all things have passed. I've changed your nature. You are a new being now. But you're not going to heaven yet because I'm giving you a ministry of reconciliation. Do we read the second part? Do we read verse 18? Do we read verse 18? Let's continue. Verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself, not in putting their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Next verse. Now then, who are we? We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore, implore. We are begging, begging, please, please, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God and reconcile the world to God, please. By definition, an ambassador is a person who is sent from their country, from their kingdom to a different country, to a different kingdom to represent and fulfill the purposes of their kingdom, their country, in a foreign country. That's the mission we're supposed to fulfill here in this foreign country. So Lord, the Lord has given us the assignment to reconcile the world to him. To reconcile sinners. Those people who call our enemies we were given the assignment to reconcile them to him. So those we consider our enemies are in reality sinners that we need to reconcile to God. Now tell me. How can you reconcile them to God if you don't love them? How can you reconcile sinners to God if you don't love them? How is that possible? Because you have to invest yourself into that. 
Your emotions will go into that. Your resources will go into that. If you don't love them, how can you fulfill the assignment? Let's look at a different passage, John. John 21. John 21 from verse 15. <clears throat> so this is Simon Peter. Jesus came. They stayed with Jesus for three years. Jesus went on the cross. And when they saw that, because they were not expecting to see that, Simon Peter had, you know, <clears throat> initially he had been asking Christ, we're following you here. We left our, 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 our families behind. I left my wife. I left my kids. What's in this thing for me? So when Jesus dies, the guy says, oh, I've been asking this question. This man, he didn't respond, and now he's dead. So let me go back to my fishing. So the guy went back to fishing. <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus resurrected, coming back to him, because he had no clue. He didn't understand what Jesus had been talking about all the time. So Jesus is now coming back to him. And by the way, if you read that passage, you'll see that... <laughs> when John <laughs> when Joel told him this is this is the master, you know what he did? He was fishing in, in his boat. He threw himself in the water. I don't know what he what he thought. That by staying in the water he wouldn't come back, that Jesus would not see him. I don't know what he thought. <laughs> And then Jesus comes back, sits with them. And the Bible says, so when they had eaten breakfast, he has breakfast with them. So Jesus turned to Simon and says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And you guys told me here that the response to God's unconditional love to us should be that we should love him back. Correct? Okay, so this is, this is Jesus asking Peter and asking you, asking me, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my lambs. And then he said again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. And then moving on, he said to him the third time, Simon, do you love me? At this point, Peter, <laughs> he, he was troubled. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus repeated, feed my sheep. Three times. Three times. 
So what is Jesus saying to you and saying to me? That we are called to feed and tend his sheep in response to his love for us. And as proof that we love him. But when we read this, and most of the time when people read this, they think it's just, Jesus here is just talking about pastoral calling. No. This is a calling for everyone. This is a calling for all the believers to feed the sheep of Christ. It's not just a pastoral call. It's, the, it's a call to every believer to see the sinners, those they think are their enemies, to see them as sheep in need of a shepherd. As sheep in need of care. Because the main characteristic of a shepherd is to care for the sheep. And the very idea of shepherding implies love. How can you shepherd if you don't love? How can you care if you don't love? This is a calling for you. It's a calling for me to tend the sheep, to feed the sheep, to take care of the sheep. So that requires you, it requires me to love the sheep. And God knows the sheep can be dirty. The sheep can be ugly. Anyone here grew in a rural area? If you had to deal with a herd of uh, Goats, sheep, you know what I'm talking about? You know what it means to feed the sheep, to take care of them? There is no care without love. So this explains the command to love those that you see as your enemies. Some of you at your office, when there's an office party, you don't show up. Because they are all, I mean, those unbelievers, they're going to be talking about stuff that I don't, my, ear don't, my ears don't want to hear that. You find the reason to not show up. How are you going to reconcile your coworkers to Christ if you never show up when there's an office party? How? We are quick to invite them to church. Because this is our comfort zone. They come here to sit. There's someone here preaching. They have no clue what's happening. And we think that's the only way. Show me many places in the Bible where Jesus took the sinners from the street into the synagogue. Yeah, you can, you, you, can, you can look. Show me. Where Jesus will come and say, oh, everybody, let's, let's go to the synagogue. Let's go to the synagogue. I'll, I'll, I'll speak to you in there. I'll open the scrolls and read from there so that your lives will be transformed. Show me where Jesus did that. 
He went to people's homes. He sat with them. He ate with them. He went to their intimacy to see the things they were doing. He did life with them. How much time, sir? I didn't see. All right, thank you. Love your enemies. Because they are not your enemies. Because they are your mission field. They are your reason for being. Now, how should we love them? (laughs) How? Luke 6, Luke 6, 32 and 33. Back to our main passage in Luke. Luke 6 from 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? You're not making any difference. Because even sinners do that. Verse 33. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? You're not making a difference. Because even sinners do the same. Brothers brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, we are called to be change agents. We are called to be difference makers. We are called to not use the same methods that the sinners, the same methods that the word uses. We cannot make a difference if we're doing exactly the same thing that the sinners are doing. We cannot make a difference. We are called to behave in a way that reflects the nature of God in us. Here at Harvest, our acronym is HIMU. Meaning we want to live to be a reflection of him, Christ, who lives in you. Sinners need to see a standard of what they believe doesn't exist anymore. They need to see the display of a different worldview. The display of the unconditional love of God in and through you. In and through us. And now we're going to read together from verse 28. Back to verse 28. What are we supposed to do? Luke 6 verse 28. Let's read together. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. All right. What is God saying? In a prayerless and godless world, sinners need to see a display of faith, a display of intercession. Everybody needs prayer. You go somewhere, usually prayer is the tool that you use to get in. You go somewhere, nobody wants to hear about God or whatever people are, what they are. As soon as you say, may I pray for you? Everybody comes forward. So the Lord is asking us to intercede for sinners. They need to know that you are available to pray for them. That's how they will see that you are interested in them. In a godless world, sinners need to see a display of intercession. Next verse, verse 29. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, 
Offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. In a word of hatred, a word of vengeance, a word of revenge, a word of, a word of intolerance, sinners need to see a display of tolerance. How tolerant are you? How tolerant are we towards those that we believe hate us? How tolerant are we? In a world where there's no tolerance. Where people believe that the only response to the gun epidemic is that everybody should have a gun. So that if someone comes to my house, they try to shoot me, I'll shoot them first. Do you think a gun can protect you? By thinking that way, you are just replicating the manners and the methods of the word. That's why there hasn't been a solution to, to that issue. But, but that's a sermon for another day. Verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your, go your goods... Do not ask them back. In a word of egocentrism, a word of selfishness, sinners need to see a display of what? Generosity. Our generosity will attract the world. Our generosity will make a difference. Yes, sir. In verse 31... Let's read verse 31 together. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. This is a call to be respectful, to be considerate towards people. How much respect do we show those we believe are sinners, those we believe, believe are, are enemies? How much respect do we show them? How much consideration do we show them? Do we even acknowledge them? Do we even care about them? How much time do you spend intentionally praying for them? People that you know are going astray. People that you know are enemies of God. People that you know do not have the revelation you have. How much time do we spend praying for them? Do we even consider them when, consider them when they speak? Most of the time... We're standing on our pedestal looking at them from the top. Thinking that they're down there so they are useless because they don't understand anything. We don't have, want to have anything to do with them forgetting that we were right there where they are right now. Respect and consideration for everyone not just your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just members of your church. There's more we can say. But I have to conclude. And there's a different aspect of this that I haven't talked about. What if those who hate you are members of your church family? What should you do? But that's for a different sermon. 
<laughs> Let's go to the book of Luke. Luke 6, 35 to 36. Jesus says, Luke 6, 35. Verse 35, please. All right. Jesus said, but love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be what? Sons of the most high. Why? Because he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Next verse. Therefore, be what? merciful just as your father also is merciful. Are you your father's children in this house? Let's see a different version of it in Matthew. Matthew 5, 43 to 45. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 43 through 45. Yes. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they thought. Next verse. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Next verse. That you may be what? Sons of your father in heaven. Sons of your father in heaven. If you know your sons of your father in heaven, that's what you're supposed to do. Because, because he does what? He makes his son rise on the evil, on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. This is the universal favor of God. His universal grace that is upon everybody living on earth. All the creatures, all the human beings that you created. So they are not your enemies. They are not your enemies. They are not your enemies. They may, might be enemies of God by virtue of their spiritual nature, but it is up to you, it is up to me to go to them because they are our reason for being sons of the Most High. They are our reason for being children of God. They are our mission field. So we have received and continue to receive the revelation of God's unconditional love for us. He died for us while we were still sinners. So what should be our response to that? This morning God is asking you, is asking me, to extend the same love to those who from the outward appearance are our enemies. But in reality they are sinners who reject God because they don't know him and they don't have the revelation of his love that you have that I have. They are our reason for being. They are our mission field because we're given the ministry of reconciliation. In order to reconcile the world to Christ, it's important for us to remember that we are his children. We're children of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We need to show empathy. We need to be merciful. We need to be compassionate towards sinners just like our heavenly father is towards them. Amen. Amen. 
And if you're here this morning, everybody please let's bow our heads. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you cannot say for sure without the shadow of a doubt that you are a child of God. You cannot show for sure that if you die today, you will go to heaven. I want you to raise your hand while the eyes are closed. Raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand. I don't see any hands. I see a hand. I see a hand. This morning, the Lord is calling you. This morning, the Lord want to, wants to change your life. So together, church, let's pray for those who have raised their hands. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you brought me here this morning to receive your word. Father God, I know that my life so far has not glorified you. Jesus, come into my life this morning. Change me. Transform me. Give me a purpose. I surrender to you. I don't want to be your enemy anymore. Thank you for transforming me. Thank you for making me your child. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have made that prayer, the Bible says that there is joy in heaven right now. You have become a child of God and at the end of the service, please, you can come forward and we'll give you some additional instructions as to what you're supposed to do next.